Hello, and uh, welcome to another episode of the Minnesota State University Family Orientation Podcast. I'm thrilled that you're uh, continuing to listen to these, and we have another exciting episode for you. We are recording this on June 7th, 2021. I share that date just so you can reference. This is what we know when we talk about and reference any COVID information or pandemic-related information. And that is particularly important today for today's guest. I'm joined by Dr. Wendy Shu. She's our Director of Student Health Services and couldn't be more thrilled for the work that she's been doing for many years, but especially during the pandemic. And we'll ask her to share a little bit more about that. But to start us off, Wendy, how long you been at MSU and, and what do you like about working here? Yeah, thanks for having me. Gosh, I have been here since 2001. So I am coming up on 20 years in August that I've been here. My role has changed a little bit from a health educator to associate director to the director now for the past 10 years I've been in this role. Working here and, you know, really with those transitions in the positions too, I have changed my role a little bit as far as some of that direct student interaction to working a little bit more on on an administrative level. But so that balance, those two opportunities have really been fun to see both sides of it. And I would probably say that's something I've enjoyed. I would imagine. So student health services, obviously you're a full service student health center. You want to share with us a little bit, what's what's that include? Yeah. So student health services is comprised of a medical clinic, a pharmacy, a laboratory, and health education services. And so for people to know that all of these are available within our medical clinic, a lot of times I'll just say, you know, stop in, you know, stop by, poke your head in and they'll say, oh my gosh, this looks like a real doctor's office. And that can be a surprise to people because, you know, what a student health services means can vary according to where you're looking. And as you said, we're a full service facility. Within our medical clinic, we have three physicians and three nurse practitioners that are on staff. We're open every day that classes are in session. We have a nurse line that students or parents can call if they have questions about whether this warrants a visit, whether, you know, this is a visit that can be seen at health services, as well as the pharmacy that, you know, students can use whether or not they use our healthcare providers. They can use the the pharmacy just like they would a, a corner pharmacy. So stop in and get some Tylenol, cold tablets, toothbrush, things that they may need replaced, things that they weren't planning on needing. We talk about prepping, preparing for students to come to college and getting those supplies. Well, hey, if you forget something, if you need a thermometer, if you need some fever reducing medication, you can stop down to that pharmacy and get some of those supplies as well. And then with the laboratory, you know, if they have visits through our health service or even if they need regular lab work that their home doctor uh, is requesting they get, we can work with them on that also. So really a variety of ways. A lot of people will say, oh, I just assumed I would use the health service when I couldn't get home to my provider. Completely appropriate. But what we find is about 75% of the students who use us consider us their primary care. Like, yep, I see Toya when I go to college because that's my doctor, that's my healthcare provider while I'm, I'm at MSU. Uh, and then the last thing is the health education services. So we have a lot of prevention education including substance abuse and healthy sexuality and stress and sleep and nutrition that do programming around campus. And so that's great to get into the classrooms, to get onto residence hall floors, but it's also a volunteer opportunity for students. 
that may have been involved in something like this in high school, that may be looking at going into a healthcare career, that want to get that experience. So that's kind of a cool thing for students to know about also, that they can get involved in the health pros. Wow, that's, that's a lot going on. <laughs> Say the least, that's impressive. Well, and I think it's one of the great strengths um, of our size university that we have that kind of resource, you know, for over 14,000 students that they can lean heavily upon it. So with all those resources and such, and from looking back from last March, you know, clearly the pandemic started changing the work we did at the university and how did it impact student health and how'd you respond during the pandemic? Yes, it certainly affected our work as well. We had to make some difficult decisions and more staff meetings than probably most people cared to attend, but we really uh, got into the, to the heart of, okay, what do we need to do? You know what, Student Health Services needs to provide care to our students. So we stayed open last spring and continued to be on-site providing health care as well as made some changes, like you said, because of COVID. Some of those changes included serving our students when they couldn't physically get into health services. So telehealth visits were incorporated. We did have the benefit of having already had some telehealth visits that we offered, mostly for for mental health. And so to have those policies and procedures in place allowed us to pretty seamlessly expand those appointment reasons. I know a lot of places sort of had to make that that plunge and we were fortunate to be able to do that pretty seamlessly. So all of our providers offer telehealth visits if students had either moved away from campus, if they were ill and, and were under quarantine or isolation. And so a lot of those appointments for that continuity of care, like you need to continue to get, you know, birth control filled and you need to continue to get, you know, ongoing prescriptions figured out. And so we were able to do that. We also made some changes with our pharmacy. So they began offering mail order options for people who were already regular customers that were getting their prescriptions filled that then needed to get that sent home. So we offered some some mail order options with the pharmacy. We uh, implemented sort of a separate physical space. So we were still all student health services, but we opened a separate upper clinic is what we call that. That was really serving students who may have had any sort of COVID symptoms, which as we experienced, they were adding new COVID symptoms weekly for a while there. And it went from respiratory to, you know, eyes to GI issues. There were all sorts of things that we were trying to keep up on. So we could continue to see people who had symptoms that were related to COVID in this separate physical space. And so that was something that we worked with our environmental health and safety with residential life. So we could continue to work out of the same building, yet keep our well students well and see our sick students. Wow, that's, uh, that's a lot. Again, I can't imagine having to stand up a whole new facility doing this and everything, but you made the reference to telehealth and telemental health, and you are quite the leader within the state. Can you describe a little bit of, you provide support for a lot of colleges and universities beyond just Minnesota State, Mankato, what's that look like? We have been fortunate to have a psychiatric nurse practitioner, Jody Eglund, as our medical director. And really with that model within college health is highly unusual. And I think we always knew that that was a benefit to our students, 
but to be able to talk with some of the other schools within the Minnesota state system that we're looking at two to three to four month wait lists to see that psychiatric provider in their community or who have lost sort of that contracted relationship that they had with a psychiatric provider. We started exploring, looking at the services our students were already offering, offered and expanding that to some of these other schools. So we started with a pilot and looked at some of our, our partners and were able to get some funding through Minnesota State to offer that to four institutions of higher ed within that Minnesota State system. This past year, we actually offered it to eight uh, different institutions and 10 campuses. And then Jody was able to work with those schools to, to block her schedule and provide that medication management while using the student resource services that they had on campus, whether that's a counselor, a case manager, you know, a social worker, mm -hmm. have those location-specific services while seeing someone with that specialty. So yeah, we found there's a demand and there's a need. Of course, we all know there's a need for mental health services in general, but looking at data specific to college students and then throwing COVID into the mix and seeing some of the concerning statistics that are out there as far as you know, it may be six months before we see some of these effects that COVID has had on mental health with our young people. Yeah, I think this whole pandemic is going to be a huge target for a lot of research and, and studies, that's for sure, to kind of see both short and long-term impact. You're right about that. One of the things I think that, that you probably don't get enough credit for within our own work environment is that as the pandemic started, it was your suggestion that we add an additional staff member to kind of help at an individual level navigate our relationship, not only with the county health leaders, the state health leaders, of which you really developed. And in some ways, we were a guinea pig, I think, for, for the state, Minnesota Department of Health, as they tried to figure out how to respond to the needs of higher education universities and colleges. But you had us hire somebody who then could also work individually with students, in quarantine issues, you know, isolation issues, and I know that's planning to be continued into next year as well, because obviously we're, we're not through this yet, but I don't know if there's a comment there from you, but I think it, it's one of those smart investments that you suggested we make. Definitely. It has been, I think, a benefit to everyone. I, I mean, even employees that are going to this case manager position and, and asking questions and the focus of the position has evolved. Uh, looking at, you mentioned kind of the isolation and quarantine guidelines, that communication with the Minnesota Department of Health. MDH literally has a whole team dedicated to higher ed within the state of Minnesota. And yep, they were sort of learning as, as they went. And we were able to provide some of those on the ground experiences that here's what we're seeing locally on our campus. And then they could, they could take some of that information. And so to have uh, that position has been really important. And now to start looking at, you know, this spring, then we started offering vaccine on campus. And now we're looking at mitigation efforts according to vaccine rates on campus. And so you're right, just because we're opening up again doesn't really mean that, that we're done planning and responding to the pandemic. So to, to that end, I know, Wendy, on Friday, the CDC released some more guidelines for institutions of higher education. A couple days before that, or I guess the week prior, Minnesota Department of Health released some as well. And, and if we just start with MDH, we know that the percentage of vaccine distribution within a population is really what's driving 
behavioral opportunities, whether it's really repopulating classrooms, having concerts, what are all those things again. So that will be a big focus of where we are moving now. I shared in a previous uh, podcast, but we, we have shifted from return to learning on our campus to return to campus. And you'll find on our, our main website, a link to those plans and the way things are changing. And so we know we need to track hopefully the percent of people that get the vaccine, as well as to your point, if we start to see any flare-ups, probably stand up testing, group testing and individual testing as needed as well. Are there other things you're starting to put in place or thinking ahead to the fall? Yeah, I think just to reiterate, the more people we can have vaccinated, the more we can go back to normal ultimately. And really there isn't, as of today, there isn't really a threshold that they have given us. Just continuing to look at things, you know, larger scale events like the concerts, like the graduation ceremonies, things like that, that we can host should we um, be able to continue to, to get our students and our employees vaccinated. I think some of that is education. You know, there's specific myths and rumors that kind of fly around a little bit with the vaccine and getting some of that accurate information out there looking at within the state system, you know, some data, if, if we can access that of, hey, where are we at with our vaccination rate? Yeah, no, it, it totally, by nature, a lot of the work we do at the university is, is dependent upon data, but I feel like we've got a whole new data set that we just, we're focused on all the time now. What is, what more, where are we at, what percent, both for our campus as well as our county and part of the state, we're always kind of watching that stuff. It's good that way. So if we're to boil it down, you know, I think we'd be repeating the same message that Governor Walls has put out there is the experience you're having on campus right now. If you're fully vaccinated, uh, masks are optional. If you're not, we're asking you to wear a mask. And, and that, that is as near as we can tell the, the experience we're seeing across the campus. We, as a university, building upon that, have identified that we anticipate having all of our staff back. We're going to start bringing them back July, I think, 6th through August 2nd. Expect to have our campus populated again to have all services in person and available as part of that increasing vaccination distribution. So we hope that that continues as well. So as you look ahead to our incoming students and families in, in preparing for the fall, are there, in addition to the pandemic, is there other advice you might give them? I think we, you know, looking from a, a family parent perspective, I think we know so much more than we did last fall. And I think sending a kid to school and, and having tools in your toolbox, basically, like having those, having those conversations with your student prior to them leaving, whether that's about any, any health topic, you know, right? Like, um, hey, did you know there's a pharmacy on campus where you can go get this, where you can go get some Tylenol, things like that but also just to have that conversation with your students, you know, have the information that they need in order to stay well and to stay healthy. I guess it's kind of repeating what I previously said, but I'm, I'm expanding it past COVID a little bit. Like just have those conversations. What are their expectations regarding alcohol use? How are they going to manage stress? Are they overloading classes? You know, things like that. Wendy, I, and you, you're aware, I've got a high school senior who just graduated this past weekend and we are starting to build, putting a pile of his stuff together that he'll be taking. So for graduation, he got bed sheets and towels and, you know, some of the stuff you need. But as we were thinking through that, and I was looking at, at the institutional guidance on, on or suggestions for what to bring, you know, we've bought, he 
it seems like he never has enough band-aids around our house. So we're buying him a first aid kit with extra band-aids and a thermometer. So when he calls up and says he's not feeling well, we can say, well, check your, check your temperature. Are there other basic things that pre-pandemic or definitely during the pandemic that you encourage people to go shopping for so they have on hand? Just to kind of follow up a couple on a couple of your examples, we—he's ahead of everybody or a lot of people because we literally will have people stop in, you know, to the front desk like, "Do you have a Band-Aid?" That they don't have any of those, so way to go—you've gotten that taken care of. And that's one of the reasons, if you look at some of the symptoms of COVID, that they added chills and you know things like that because I don't know if I have a fever, I don't have a thermometer with me. So there's lists all over the place about uh, what to include in your college student's first aid kit and. Again, if you, if you don't have that packed nicely for them, they can stop into the pharmacy. The thing to mention with health services, you don't have to have uh, a cash, you know, a credit card, things like that to pay for it. Anything that they stop or, or need with our services can be placed on their student account. And so if parents choose to pay for any of their students' healthcare needs, that is located at the same place, like their tuition and their fees show up, it just shows up as a generic health services charge. So that can be good for people to know, like sometimes they'll try to, you know, figure out, oh, how do I, how do I get this healthcare savings card with my student, things like that. And, and that can all be done sort of on the back end. So that, that can be good for parents to know as well. Have a copy of that insurance card in your student's wallet or a, a picture of it. Uh, that's just fine. Also a picture of the front and the back of a health insurance card if they're covered under a parent's plan, whether or not they use health services, that's good for people to have in their, in their pocket. Oh, uh, that totally makes sense. You know, one of one of the strengths we have as a community is beyond just your services. And I know you partner, we do have a local hospital and we had this conversation, is the trauma three, I think. You remember we talked about that? I just don't remember the number. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's it's <laughs> a pretty high level. It's associated with the Mayo Clinic Health System, as well as we've got a large local provider, several lo- large local providers in Cato Clinic, and we've got a orthopedic practice in town that provides services and we have connections to all of these through referral agents and and such like that. So I think that's one of our strengths when you come here as a student, it's you've got the advantages of student health services, but also know that they've got the connection to the, to the experts or the specialists in the event that that's needed. Because on occasion it is. And having those professional relationships between your physicians and theirs is super helpful. Yes, we do have relationships with many of our, our area partners, whether that's like a, if someone does need to take an ambulance ride, we've got a transfer agreement. If someone thinks they've broken a bone, you know, a, an agreement, a relationship for x-rays, things like that. So definitely it's, uh, and the bus system is free for students to ride if they need to get places like that and don't have a vehicle. Yeah, it's definitely just, a, <clears throat> honestly, well, I'm biased, but another huge strength for us as a university and as a community to, to have that. Well, Wendy, this has been a huge help and a good update, I think, for all of our families and students that are listening in and, and making their plans for the fall. Any other final thoughts or wisdoms you want to impart on them? I think it can be helpful for parents to know. Now, we mentioned the relationship with the Department of Health, but just to know that there are services available for their student and and you know, I use the term, we are at the table. Although we're a health clinic, pharmacy, lab, health ed, plopped in the middle of a college campus, that we have these relationships within the community, within our county health, within our state, to continue to have that up-to-date information and, and have services for our students. 
Wonderful. Wonderful. As always, Dr. Shu, thank you for spending a little time with us today. And, and listeners, thanks for, for spending a little time with us. Stay tuned for future episodes. And if you have any questions, by all means, about student health services, please reach out to Dr. Shu or, or anyone via their website, and we'll make sure we get answers for you. And I know that comes up because there are students who are coming with some pre-existing conditions. I'm introducing a new topic as a proficiency. Sorry about that. But, but that is true. Right? Much like we we will talk about dining in an upcoming one as well. But we know that there are some special needs that students have. And so the ability that you have to serve students with those special physical needs and health needs is pretty special. So whether it's insulin or other needs, I know some people forget that that's the kind of thing you can do. Yes, it's always hard when I hear somebody say like, you know, I'm in my third year here. I had no idea I could have been getting that care at health services. So definitely. Excellent. Again, thank you. Thank you everybody again for listening and uh, we'll be in touch soon. Thanks everybody. Thanks for, thanks for having me.